Amen. You guys can have a seat. The line in that song, I'll go ahead and give it away, give away my sermon. I'll go ahead and tell you the thesis of the sermon is the line we just sang in that song. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. My thesis today then is that that is the blessed life. When our hands are empty and our hearts are fixed on the cross of Jesus, that is when we experience the blessing of God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they are the ones that shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Somehow, it's hard for me to imagine those words being spoken at a college graduation, you know, (laughs) ready to become an adult, ready to go out into the world, pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Let me tell you how you'll find happiness. Imagine a college commencement speaker getting up. Let me tell you how you're going to find happiness, how you're going to be blessed, be poor in spirit, mourn, you should cry a lot. See, in America, we might expect to hear something more like this. Blessed are those who embrace their personality. For they will have high self-esteem. Blessed are those who never grieve or cry, for they'll be strong. There's no crying in baseball. Boys don't cry. Suck it up. Blessed are those who are religious because they're good, decent people. Blessed are those who accumulate all the latest junk. The gadgets, blessed are those who have the nicest fashion, those who have the toys, because they'll have it all and they will cultivate their image and their brand. Blessed are those with Instagram likes and nice filters. Blessed are those who follow their dreams, follow their hearts, for they will be fulfilled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for their truth, for they will know their real self. Blessed are those who assert themselves, for they will get what is theirs. Blessed are those who follow their emotions, for they will live in the moment. Blessed are those who are independent, because they don't need anybody else. Blessed are the popular, for they will receive praise. That is the Beatitudes of American culture. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, it's called the Beatitudes, which is a Latin word which means blessed. And this is how he begins his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He begins by turning our notion of happiness, blessedness, and the good life completely upside down and puts it on its head. And this is unbelievably shocking to American sensibilities, this sermon. 
But it was shocking to Jesus' audience as well. I mean, this is first century Judaism. In fact, there was a book that I'm pretty sure, and many scholars agree with me, that Jesus was actually reworking a famous book of the day called the Sirach, uh, also known as book of the book of Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with Ecclesiastes. It was a Jewish wisdom book written by a Jewish scribe named Ben Sira, and it was written around 200 BC. And all good Jewish people at this time that Jesus preached this sermon would have known about Sirach. And in Sirach chapter 25, verses 7 through 11, it says this, I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children. First, there's an assumption that it's got to be a man to be blessed. Then there's the assumption that you got to have offspring and that they got to be worth rejoicing in. A man, blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. His opponents are crushed. He's better than them. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife. Ooh, right? Got to have a wife who knows her place. And the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. And what that simply means is a man who's successful in business, who doesn't have to work hard because he has people working for him. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue. And listen to this. And one who does not have to serve an inferior. Blessed is the boss. Happy is the one who finds a friend and one who speaks to attentive crowds. Blessed is the one with influence. Blessed is the one with a platform. Blessed is the one with Twitter followers. Blessed is the one with the blue check mark. Verified. How great is the one who finds wisdom? That's 200 BC. The people that Jesus was speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount were aware of that piece of literature. And Jesus takes the common wisdom of the day, flips it upside down on its head, and the common refrain in the Sermon on the Mount, and it will continue to be all throughout this sermon, is Jesus will say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, I joked last week, if you ever watched that show, MTV's Real Life, what was the catchphrase? You think you know, but you have no idea. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you think you know the path to life. No, you don't. You've heard one thing, but let me tell you what is true. That's the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, let me tell you what's true from Jesus. See, this section of the scripture I mentioned was referred to as the Beatitudes. Once again, it's a Latin word that means blessed. But the question is, what does it mean to be blessed? This is the Greek word, markarios. It's translated in other places throughout the Bible as happy as it is in the Sirach, or fortunate, or congratulations to the poor in spirit. I think it could simply mean something along the lines of, God saying to the poor in spirit, God saying to the mourn, those who are mourning, God saying to the meek, I see you. I approve of you. Blessed are you because you have my attention. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless your offspring and they will be as many as the stars in the sky and they will be a light to the nations. I think Jesus is drawing us back to Genesis 12 and he's telling us this is what it means to be a child of the promise. This is what it means to be near to the heart of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Jesus asks. Congratulations. 
You're blessed. God sees you. He's near to the brokenhearted. And the outline of my message today is going to follow the, this idea of posture. And it doesn't come from me. I got it from a scholar named Frederick Dale Bruner. And he says that the Sermon on the Mount is broken up. And it's that we actually know it's broken up into three pieces because in the Greek language, it's, it's got a poetic structure to it. But the first four Beatitudes are one section. The next three Beatitudes are another section. And the next two are another section. And Frederick Bruner says the first four are what he calls the pores. They got nothing. And so the posture he always draws on the whiteboard is a little stick figure on their knees with their hands to the sky. The second one is the fulls. Those who are receiving, they're standing up now. There's confidence, but they're receiving the blessing of God. And then finally, he calls the last group the flax. They're on their back. They've been beaten down. After going low and standing back up, they've been put right back down on their back. And so there's an old saying. Perhaps your grandma, grandmother said it to you, and that goes like this. God helps those who what? Yes, that is wrong. Your grandmother was wrong and actually a heretic, okay? I mean, <laughs> the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are, tell us that precisely the ones who God helps are not the ones that can help themselves, but are those who realize they are helpless without him. The poor, the fools, and the flax, the poors. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus tells us we've got it wrong when we think of what it means to be blessed. I'm convinced that if I were to just go out onto the street today and ask my neighbors, hey, what do you think would make you happier? What do you think would fulfill you, satisfy you, make you happy? I'm almost convinced, and if, I, and if you didn't know the sermon I was preaching, if I asked you, you'd probably answer the same way, but I'm almost convinced that all of us would say, more fill in the blank. What's going to make me happier than I am today? What's going to uh, solve my tension? More free time. More money. More respect. More relationships. Or a relationship. Most of us think that the next step to happiness or blessedness in our life is attaining something that we don't yet have. Or attaining more of something we don't yet have. We live under the notion that we receive blessing by receiving more of stuff we already have or something that we want. And Jesus says, do you want to be blessed? It's not, you don't receive blessing by filling up your pile. You receive blessing by emptying it first. Catholic philosopher Peter Crave says, if we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. But if we come him to him with full hands, he has no place to put himself. I'm not one to use props, okay? I've never done it, so we'll see how this goes. But I want to tell you guys the story of my life. My story is that I was born into a upper middle class family in a nice neighborhood with two parents who were still married. Oh man, that's something to hold on to. Good family, supportive family. I went to good schools. I was popular, I think, I hope. I was athletic, 
college scholarship to go run track. I was really, really ridiculously good looking. (laughs) Beautiful wife. Good grades. Held together. Graduated college without debt. Not because I worked hard for it, but because my parents paid for it. Went to grad school. They paid for that as well. I graduated. God, bless me. God, this is why you should bless me. Look, I'm so, look at all these things I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look how successful I am. And you start looking at your life and you think, man, I've got this big pile of just awesome emojis. <laughs> this is me. And you're going, God, aren't I impressive to you? Don't you owe me something? I've, been, look, I've done everything I was asked to do. I've done it right, and I've got no reason. My life is successful, and I'm looking into the future, and I'm thinking there's no way it can't be anything but successful because it's all I've known. I've been blessed, God. Look at what I've done. Look, God, aren't you proud of me? And then I'm wondering why I'm prideful. Wondering why I'm arrogant. And I'm wondering why I'm not sensing the presence of God in my life. And I'm 27 years old. My oldest son. Diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Those things don't matter anymore. I hit 30. My first year in New York. I get hit with debilitating depression. Don't even want to live. God, how can I go on? I've got nothing. Everything's falling apart. I don't even know if I want to live. If I can't control my life, what's there to live for? But then I noticed that when I had nowhere to go and nothing to show off to God, and I hit my knees and said, I don't don't have anything. I realized that James 4, 6 is true. He gives more grace. And he is faithful. And I noticed that in the most painful seasons of my life, the ones where I was ready to give up, literally and completely, the seasons where I have nothing to show off, that is when my hands were empty enough to begin to receive what God wanted from me. And those, I'm telling you, and there are people in this room that have been through much worse But I'm telling you, when your hands are empty, you will experience God in a way that you never could have imagined. You lose somebody you love, you think, how am I going to go on? But God fills those empty hands. So for those of you in this room who are poor, literally, for those of you who are poor in spirit, spiritually, for those who are mourning, for those who are sad, For those of you who feel like no one understands you, no one sees you, no one empathizes with you. For those in this room who are lonely or tired or depressed or brokenhearted or at rock bottom, God's heart is with you. He sees you. 
He has not forgotten you. Congratulations. And, in, and you are blessed because when you recognize your poverty, when you come to that place, when you realize that your self-sufficiency has been stripped away and you know that you have nothing, that's when you can see God. See, this is the first step in a 12-step program, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's Celebrate Recovery. First step is admit you are powerless, your life is unmanageable, you are poor, meek, and you are mourning. Step two, once you've admitted this, you can come to believe in a higher power and you can receive healing. See, there's a notion, I used to believe it, that those who go to 12-step meetings or those who go to therapy or those who go to counseling have something wrong with them. And if you think that, Jesus is telling you that they're actually further ahead than you are because they realize they're helpless to help themselves. You're still holding on to the illusion that you don't need help, that you got it. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story that I think sums up these first four blessings. (laughs) He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and one, the other was a tax collector. Tax collectors were bad, bad dudes. Don't have time to explain it. It's not IRS. This is traitors to their people. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like those other losers or like that other guy, a tax collector, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like that guy right there, the tax collector. Look at him. What a loser. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but that tax collector with the gross clothes, they smell so bad, standing far off. It says the tax collector standing far away from God. Some of the people that are so afraid to come to church because they're afraid of what they're going to find there. They're afraid they're going to get beaten down. There are people today that are not in church right now that are closer to God than most of us in this room. Because they're far off and they're afraid they, they, they don't feel worthy. But in their, the, but it says the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. Jesus' story in that is the one who is humble enough to admit that they have nothing to offer God and all that they can ask for is mercy. They're the ones that receive it. But the other guy came with his big collection of stuff. Oh, I fasted this week. I tithed. I gave so much money to the church. I, I, I prayed twice a week. They only asked me, or I, pay, I prayed twice a day. They only asked me to do it once a day, but I did it twice. Look how awesome I am. I memorized the Bible. I read a Look how awesome I am. Thank God I'm not like that loser over there. And Jesus says the guy with the big full hands, God didn't have anywhere to put himself. So that guy walked away bound for hell. But the guy who showed up with empty hands and ripped his shirt off and said, I have nothing, that guy was on his way to the kingdom of heaven. Karl Marx said that Christianity is the opiate of the masses. Uh, It numbs people. Uh, Other people will say Christianity is a crutch for the weak. No, it's not. It's a wheelchair. (laughs) It's not a crutch. It's one of those like things. Like you're not limping. You don't need a crutch. You're dead. 
You need a new life. Blessed are the poor because they realize that they don't need a crutch. They need God to bring them back to life because they can't do it themselves. Notice the progression. The poor, it's like going down steps. The poor, those who are mourning, the meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's working your way down to the bottom, but when you're at the bottom, you have nowhere to look but up. But when you look up and when you open your empty hands, God begins to fill them. And this is what it means to be full. It says the merciful receive mercy. I've noticed a lot of times, and I think it's especially true in our church, that the people in our church who are the most gracious, the most, ben- the most merciful, and the most generous are the ones who experience God's mercy the most. It also says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think what Jesus is saying is that when we're captivated by God's mercy, when we understand our poverty of spirit, we will want more of him. And we begin to see the lesser things in this life for what they are and him for who he is. There's a story. I don't know if it's true, kind of legendary, but it's of Leonardo da Vinci. He was painting a picture of Jesus. Leonardo da Vinci, not the Ninja Turtle, the artist. He's painting a picture, picture of Jesus and some little like teenage boys or little, uh, kid, little uh, young boys come over and they knock over all his supplies because they're running around. And he gets mad and he turns and yells at them. He curses at them. He throws things. He shoes them out of the room. And then he goes back to paint and he's trying to paint Jesus. And he can't do it. And so he goes and he finds the boys and he apologizes to them. He says, look, guys, I'm so sorry. I never should have snapped at you like that. And supposedly the legend goes that Leonardo da Vinci said, I couldn't see Jesus fully until I had dealt with my sin. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's a good image, isn't it? See, our sin, when our lives are cluttered with our own sin, it blinds us to the beauty of God. As we seek what is good and right and true and beautiful in our own eyes, rather than what is true and right and beautiful in God's eyes, we will often, the focus on Jesus will, will come out of focus and we'll start focusing on all these other things. But when we, when we de- meditate on what is true, beautiful and right in God's eyes, those things go out of focus and he becomes further and further in focus. There's an old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, when we realize our poverty in spirit and we realize that Jesus has filled us with himself, we will then be motivated to turn from our sin, purify our hearts and fix our eyes on Jesus and we will see him more clearly. Let me talk to the men for a second. I know the statistics Pornography usage among men. Listen to this, men. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What would you rather look at? What would you rather look at? Blessed are the peacemakers, the sons of God. Thank God for the peacemakers in every family, right? There's one. It's not me. (laughs) I'm the instigator. Thank God for the peacemaker. Thank God for the peacemaker in the family, in the office, in the schoolroom, and in the church. Thank God for peacemakers. But notice the progression. 
Blessed are the poor, the mourning, the meek, the hungering and thirsting. Now, the overflowing, the ones that are full toward others and toward God. But then finally, Jesus makes another shocking statement where he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you right now. There are people in the world that will go to church today in fear that someone will bust down the door. And imprison them. There are people that are worshiping today that worship knowing that by gathering with God's people, they might be putting themselves in a position where their heads will be chopped off before the sun goes down today. That is a real reality. Read the news. And Jesus says, blessed are them. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. I once had the privilege of knowing a girl who was in a previous church of mine. She was from Senegal, West Africa. And when she came to know Jesus, she was told by her family that the moment she is baptized, she better find a new family in America because she doesn't have one in Senegal. Blessed is she. My friend Andrew told me a story, a true story, about a young man in his church, international student. His family's not Christian. They're another religion. He's from another part of the world. He came to know Christ while he was a college student uh, in this town, and his family is very well, like very wealthy, very wealthy. And when he became a Christian, it became a real big shakeup in his family. He's the only he was the only child. And so all the inheritance was going to go to him. But his father said, we can't give the inheritance to a young man who has shamed the family by converting to Christianity. And so his dad flew to the United States, met with him and explained to him, son, you are due to receive a $1.2 billion inheritance. But you must renounce Christianity. And if you don't, not only will you forfeit the money, but we will have to disown you. That is a lot of money. Like a lot. And And on top of that, I can't imagine the thought of losing my family. But this young man refused to renounce Jesus. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. He refused to renounce Jesus because he's convinced that Jesus meant what he said in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for your reward is great in heaven. He said, there's a a reward in heaven that's better than $1.2 billion and it's even better than my family. Jim Elliott, who's a missionary who was speared to death, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. Think about what the disciples, I think, remember, Jesus is talking to disciples. Peter, James, Andrew, John, they've just left their boats there. They've left their jobs. They're not fishermen anymore. They're following Jesus. And so far, it's going awesome. Like Jesus is healing paralyzed people. He's healing the sick. And they're thinking, we know what they're thinking because they mention it later in the Gospels. They're thinking Jesus is about to be the king of the world and we're about to be right at his right hand. We're about to be right there with him. And then Jesus drops them on them. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. They had no idea what was coming. 
But Jesus is foreshadowing to them what their life would look like. And all 11 of the apostles that remained true to Jesus, of course, Judas abandoned him. All 11 of the apostles we know died excruciating deaths because they were willing to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. And in Acts 5.41, it even says one time after they were put on trial for their lives and suffered beatings, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin, the court, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, last thing I want you to see before we pray, take communion, and get out of here, is that when we read these Beatitudes, it sounds impossible. But what you need to know, it sounds costly, it sounds painful, and it is. But what you need to know is that the Beatitudes are not something you achieve, they're something you receive. See, I think there's a problem that often occurs in teachings of this passage, and that is that we often view the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and we view those as commands. Go and be poor. Go and mourn. Go find something to mourn. That's, these aren't commands. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are in this predicament. But what is the blessing of those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek? The blessing is the kingdom of heaven, comfort, satisfaction, the earth, mercy, seeing God being called a child of God. That's better than anything you're pursuing. That's what you want. Comfort, satisfaction, the kingdom of God. How do you get these things? Do you go out and earn them? The Beatitudes are not commands on how to earn your salvation or earn God's favor, but rather they are instructions. They're, they're a picture of how you're going to receive them. My, little, my, young, my middle daughter was playing with my wife this week, and she had some stickers that had like Bible characters on them. And she said, Mom, congratulations. You earned Jesus. And you're like, Edith, sweetie, that's not how it works. <laughs> But I'm convinced that before we see the Beatitudes in our own life, we must see them in the life of Jesus. Don't you know that as Jesus was saying these blessings, he was thinking, this is the beginning of his ministry. Don't you know he was thinking about the next three years? Don't you know he was thinking about his own death as he was saying these things? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of Jesus, that though he was rich, for our sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus was poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. People hid their faces from him because he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus was meekness personified. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When Jesus was reflecting on his crucifixion just hours before it could happen, he uses the metaphor of of drink. God, let this cup pass from me, meaning let the crucifixion pass from me, but not my will be done but the Father's. He wasn't hungering and thirsting for comfort, He wasn't hungering and thirsting for his own status. He was hungering and thirsting for the Father's will. And he said, let your will be done. He was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Has there ever been anyone more merciful than Jesus? The one who hugs lepers and eats dinner with drunkards and prostitutes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's Jesus. They shall be called sons of God, who is the son of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus was persecuted beyond comprehension. See, on the cross, he took the penalty of your sin and mine onto himself, but then he says, those who believe in me will receive that which is mine. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who for? Jesus. This is him. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. This is Jesus. He's holding it. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those. And on and on and on and on. And Jesus is holding all these things. Comfort, satisfaction, life, the kingdom of heaven, the, the children, adoption as a child of God. And all he says is that if you believe in me, all of it, it's given to you but your hands have to be empty enough to receive it. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was poor in spirit. He was meek. He mourned. He hungered. He thirsted. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. He was persecuted. He obeyed his own law perfectly. You and I never could, but those who are humble enough to recognize our poverty in spirit and those who are sensitive enough to mourn over our sin. And those who are meek enough to admit that we can't inherit the earth. It was never ours to gain to begin with. It was always his. Jesus says, when you come to me with open hands, I'll fill them. That's how we receive the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.